passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. We are live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario, Canada, on this lovely Sunday morning. I'm here with the one, the only, the Sudbury man himself, Eric Marcotte, and we are here to discuss everything that is and was UFC 288. Eric, how are you doing this morning? I'm fantastic. It's uh, we are live at eight in the morning, and and for me, this is basically my eight p.m. So I am full of energy. This is the first time I feel like I've ever had this much energy on a UFC post show. But I'm also probably the only person in the world with this much energy right now. So, yes, we're like two ships passing in the night. Uh, I've been up for a couple hours. It doesn't matter that I go to bed at one o'clock. My uh, circadian rhythm or whatever you call it just kicks into gear 6 a.m every single day no alarm and uh, here i am on like four and a half hours sleep but that's okay i've got coffee i i don't have the amount of energy that you have but maybe close maybe close Hey, uh, this is uh, another big return from retirement from you, right, Phil? You're really the Terry Funk of podcasters here. I feel like (laughs) I still talk to you every second month or so. Well, I mean, uh, it seems like uh, retirement returns is the theme of the show. Uh, You know, we saw the return of Henry Cejudo, so it was only appropriate that we had another uh, uh, all-timer return. And when I say all-timer, I don't mean like Hall of Famer. I just mean like, you know, uh, grizzled veteran. Um, So, yeah, we're here to talk about UFC 288, which took place from the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, UFC announcing a gate of 17, of 17,559 in attendance and a gate of $5,182,210. Another huge event for the UFC. They can't seem to do wrong with any of these pay-per-views. The, the event headlined, of course, by defending bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling taking on returning former, uh, bantamweight and flyweight champion Henry Cejudo. So before we get into the action, Eric, just wanted to get your thoughts about this main event. And first of all, uh, the line for this fight was uh, pretty even um, with uh, Henry Cejudo being a slight favorite, which was a bit of a surprise to me. So just A, your thoughts on that line in this matchup, and then B, uh, just your ideas on Henry Cejudo returning after a three-year layoff and and where he sort of stands in the pantheon of great MMA fighters, you know, a two-division champion, of course, the former Olympic champion in wrestling. So, yeah, let's hear what you have to say about all that, Eric. 
All right, a lot of ground to cover, cover there. So I will I will start with uh, the fight itself. I was definitely looking forward to this one. I thought it'd be a really interesting stylistic matchup between the two. As far as the line is concerned, it, it didn't completely shock me. I mean, Aljamain Sterling has proved to be one of the top bantamweights in the world, the top bantamweight in the world at this point. But when you do look at his resume and you look through his last few fights, you'll see uh, the DQ win against Piotr Jan, a uh, split decision win against Piotr Jan, and the fight against TJ Dillashaw that you kind of have to throw out because TJ Dillashaw was in no shape to compete that night. So despite holding the bantamweight gold and defending it multiple times, it hasn't necessarily been that kind of reign where you look at the man and say, wow, that's a world beater. On the other hand, Henry Cejudo, he hasn't competed in three years, yes, but he did leave on one of the most impressive win streaks that we've seen in some time. So it didn't complete shocked me to see the line as close as it was nor to see Cejudo as the, as the slight favorite as far as Cejudo's status as an all-time great um, you, you can't deny he's extremely accomplished of course uh, an Olympic gold medal in freestyle wrestling from the Beijing Olympics in 2008 flyweight champion who defended his title uh, dethroned Demetrius Johnson to win it arguably the greatest of all time and then he moved up to bantamweight a title that he defended as well after winning that so it is a very impressive career, but when we're talking about the all-time greats, I think one of the biggest things we factor into it is longevity. And if you look at Cejudo's record, it was very much a two-year period where all of those big wins came, where he beat uh, Sergio Pettis, uh, Bellator bantamweight champion Sergio Pettis, Demetrius Johnson, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Marias, and Dominic Cruz. That's a very, very impressive win streak, one of the most impressive win streaks ever. But when you look at the rest of his MMA career, it's, you know, there's some wins, there are some losses, but it doesn't really stack up towards those last few fights. So I don't quite rank him among the all-time greats as accomplished as he is. Yeah, I'm kind of of the same mindset, like great wins. uh, And of course, winning both of those titles is very impressive. But, you know, I, I think... Also, being able to defend your title um, multiple times is what really separates some of the all-time greats. Uh, nonetheless, uh, almost certainly a future Hall of Famer. And it turns out that that line was pretty accurate because this was an extremely competitive fight. Uh, John Anik, Daniel Cormier, and Joe Rogan on the broadcast. So uh, how did the action go down in our main event, Eric? So Sterling is pressing forward to begin the fight in the first round, and he's trying to back Cejudo in the cage. It's Cejudo, though, who records the first takedown of the fight. He has a bit of control time before Sterling escapes, which is obviously a big win for Sterling against the Olympic gold medalist. As the round continues, Sterling is the more aggressive fighter, and you can see that he's having a lot of success whenever he's pushing the pace, really uh, throwing a lot of kicks that were landing with decent power to the legs and body of Cejudo. Uh, Towards the end of the round, Sterling lands a nice pair of knees to the body, and he takes uh, Cejudo's back as he brings him down, uh, taking down the Olympic gold medalist, the second fighter to do it. He ends the round on Cejudo's back. I I think we should go through this one round by round because it is a very close fight. How did you score the first round, Phil? I did score the first round 10-9 for Sterling. Um, He was just a lot more active. Uh, Cejudo was able to get the takedowns and top control. A very nice takedown from Cejudo, but he really didn't do too much with it. As the round progressed, it seemed like he was getting a little bit better with them on the feet, uh, as opposed to Sterling, who was very effective early on in the fight, in the round. 
But then, uh, you know, Sterling gets that late takedown and lands a really big shot at the end of the round. And so uh, I ended up giving it to him. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I scored it for Sterling as well. Uh, we go into the second round. The fires are trading kicks to the body. Cejudo is starting to find his rhythm offensively. He lands a really nice head kick at one point, but uh, Sterling just kind of eats it and keeps going forward. The body kicks from Sterling are really finding their mark. Almost like he isn't missing with any of these, I find. Uh, Cejudo is eating them over and over again, but he's responding with kicks of his own. And as the round progresses... You start to see that Cejudo is finding success with the, with his hands as well. Whenever he presses forward and throws short combinations, they are finding their target. Perhaps more often than Aljamain Sterling was finding his target with his own punches throughout the bout. As the round progressed, I thought that Cejudo was just mixing up his offense a bit better. And he lands this nice right hand before time expires. I did score the second round for Henry Cejudo. Uh, how did you see it, Phil? Uh, so I scored this round for Aljamain Sterling. Again, it was sort of a story of volume. Um, you know, his shots were landing with power, but you could see in this round that Cejudo was definitely, um, reading him a lot better, responding a lot better. And it, even though Sterling was win- winning the volume battle and landed some very powerful shots, it just seemed like, Cejudo's strikes were having a little bit more impact, like Sterling was reacting a lot more when Cejudo did land. Nonetheless, uh, I did give this round to Sterling, so I had him up 2-0 going into the third. Into round three, Sterling and Cejudo are still trading kicks until Cejudo just flurries forward with this nice short combination, and he takes the fight to the ground after sprawling on a takedown attempt from Sterling. Uh, Cejudo eventually does allow Sterling back to his feet here, where Sterling kind of engages Cejudo against the fence. He, he wrestles Cejudo to the ground momentarily, which is quite impressive. He, but the big part comes as Cejudo is picking himself back up, which he does with relative ease. Sterling lands a very nice knee to the head of Cejudo, which was probably his best shot of the fight to that point, in my opinion. With less than two minutes remaining in the round, it's kind of an evenly paced round. This one was very closely contested after this clinch exchange against the cage, but Cejudo does secure one last takedown right before the round ends. That shouldn't count for much, but uh, if you listen to Joe Rogan or Daniel Cormier, that can sway around, so you never know. Uh, I scored this one for Aljamain Sterling. How about you, Phil? I scored this one for Henry Cejudo. It was super close, again, like most of the other rounds, uh, and uh, it was kind of more of the same. I I thought it was, even though Sterling kind of got that takedown, like he didn't do much with it except for that strike on the way up. And he worked really hard for that takedown. I mean, it was, while it was impressive that he was able to take Cejudo down a couple times in this fight, really nothing much came of any of it. Cejudo always got back to his feet and, uh, super close round. And while, yeah, a takedown late in a round shouldn't count for much when the round is so close and you need to sort of separate the two fighters. That's kind of one little bullet that you have to draw on. So uh, I did give this round to Henry Cejudo. Into the fourth round, it's Sterling doing the better work at the start, at least applying pressure, mixing up his strikes well. But this was very much a fight that uh, was 
where the momentum was swinging towards whichever fighter was advancing. So when Aljamain Sterling was the fighter going on the attack, he was finding a bit more success. And when Henry Cejudo started pressuring forward, it was him who was finding more success. It was kind of a, uh, a seesaw battle throughout the fight where w- whichever fighter was pressing forward was the one winning the fight. And that adds up big time when you look at the total volume stats. So... This was one where I thought Sterling was a bit more active than Cejudo throughout. They're both going for takedowns, but both of their uh, takedown defense, it's pretty solid. Both were finding a bit more success with their takedowns earlier in the bout. At this point, obviously, both men were a bit more tired, more fatigued, and the takedowns were a bit harder to come by. Sterling was starting to get some noticeable reactions out of Cejudo, in my opinion, whenever he was throwing these calf kicks. It was something that he went to throughout the bout, and by the fourth round, you could tell that they were having a slight effect on Cejudo. That's not to say he was in any way uh, in danger of being stopped from them, but you could tell they were having an effect on the guy. At one point, Cejudo catches a kick from Sterling, and Sterling lands this uh, very solid elbow, but Cejudo completes the takedown anyways. Sterling, not one to be content working from bottom, quickly works his way up and secures one last takedown of his own right before the round ends. Uh, another close round, I uh, gave the edge to Aljamain Sterling once again, so I had him up on the scorecards going into the fifth round. What, what about you, Phil? I did as well. I gave him this round, so we've got it 3-1 going into the fifth. Uh, I I've just felt that even though I thought that Cejudo's striking was getting a little bit more reaction from Sterling than vice versa. It wasn't like so clear and Sterling was landing more volume. He was doing a very good job of uh, lateral movement. So even when he did get hit with the shot, it was kind of like a one and done. He never really got hit with any combinations in this fight. I thought the the grappling uh, exchanges even on the cage were excellent. Um I even though he didn't really secure uh, a ton of takedowns. I just found that Henry Cejudo's positioning, risk control, uh, the way he was leveraging uh, the underhooks, being the smaller fighter, was very impressive. And some of these uh, little grappling exchanges uh, against the cage were just super fascinating to watch for me. By any chance, did you catch the Demetrius Johnson uh, Adriana Marias fight from last night? I did see that fight, yes. Well, I saw, yeah, I saw the last half. I missed uh, the first uh, round. Of I it. could see why some would find the fight a bit dull. I thought Demetrius Johnson was doing some like really interesting stuff with his back to the cage throughout that fight, like some really high level stuff from the clinch uh, in a defensive position that I don't think we see from too many fighters. So I think that's one that just stuck with me when watching some of these exchanges. Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh extremely effective uh oh i just have to uh <laughs> take care of this oh, person always a bit of fun in the uh, youtube chat yeah excellent um uh <laughs> so uh uh yeah dimitri johnson in this fight he was ex- ex- excellent against the cage again uh, against a bigger opponent he did He was a lot more effective with his striking, landing some incredible knees to the body and also using great leverage and technique to reverse the position over and over again. So, uh, so super impressive from him. Yeah, Demetrius Johnson, uh, pretty good at fighting, I guess. <laughs> Into round five, uh, the fighters touch gloves at the, at the start of the round. Uh, Cejudo was the advancing fighter early, and as I mentioned earlier, this resulted in Cejudo finding a lot of success on the feet. 
At one point, Cejudo lands a big left hand before he grabbed after a single leg that Sterling just kind of shrugged off. Sterling changes levels later in the round, attempting to take Cejudo down, but Cejudo keeps it on the feet where he lands a big pair of knees to the body of Sterling. Late in the round, Cejudo secures another big takedown, but once again, isn't really able to do much with it before Sterling gets back to his feet. Uh, even still, I thought Cejudo did more damage throughout this round, and I did score this final five minutes in his favor. Uh, what about you, Phil? I did as well. I thought this was, uh, in terms of the striking, this was Cejudo's best round. He he landed a lot more evenly uh, compared to Sterling. I mean, uh, I don't have the punch stats in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised if he actually won this round in terms of those types of stats. Um, and he came out sort of knowing that he might be down in this fight. and but. Again, Sterling's lateral roll movement really prevented Cejudo from really uh, landing too many. What is going on here? We are just uh, <laughs> bombasted by uh, trolls today. So uh, interesting. They're out in full force at eight in the morning. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, I thought Cejudo was really uh, doing a good job in this round of uh, you know having effective striking, but it just ultimately wasn't uh, enough to, you know, put Sterling away, which is what I thought he needed to do, being down on the scorecards. So we go to the judge's decision when we get scorecards of 48-47, 48-47, and 147-48. So Aljamain Sterling retains his UFC Bantamweight Championship by split decision. Uh, certainly a very close fight, and some debate will come out of it. I think we sided with the judges here, as did a lot of the media members from what I saw, but the live crowd very much on the side of Henry Cejudo. Yeah, kind of interesting. I mean, uh, you know, Sterling seems to be like public enemy number one for some reason. Uh, you know, people love to hate him. I mean, it's not like Cejudo is some type of uh, incredible uh, baby face, so it was a bit odd. And... uh uh, and, you know, Sterling being like the New York guy, you'd think he'd get a little bit of that hometown love. Uh, but uh, no, it wasn't there for him. Uh, and we were educated on, on the meaning of terms like babyface earlier on the broadcast when uh, the UFC aired a video package to inform the UFC audience of what makes a good heel starring WWE superstars Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Charlotte Flair. Um, the integration has begun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, some uh, really uh, very exciting cross-promotional uh, products right now. Uh, totally what uh, I would think we uh, uh, want to see from this new organization. I, I guess they still don't have a name for this company, um, this TKO on the ticker. Yeah, for now, it's TKO. I imagine they will not be sticking with that one. Um, it remains to be seen. <laughs> But anyways, we should get to what happens after the fight where uh, none other than Sean O'Malley is brought into the octagon to confront Aljamain Sterling. And I didn't listen to a word that was said from either men, but I'm sure it was very, uh, uh, very mean things were said back and forth. Uh, th did you have any thoughts on this exchange or that as the next big matchup at Bantamweight? Uh, I mean, it's not terribly surprising that this is the next uh, match that they're going for. I mean, we kind of knew that was the case. They'd put um, Sean O'Malley on the sidelines for a while, and uh, the UFC seems to believe that he's the biggest draw in the division. So the idea of him fighting next uh, 
doesn't surprise me at all. Sort of interesting moment as he comes into the cage, she takes off his uh, uh, jacket and Aljamain Sterling's teammate, Marab, also top bantamweight. <laughs> like he picks it up off the floor and puts it on himself and is standing in between the two of them. And then when they do separate uh, the face off, there's a little altercation between Marab and Sean O'Malley. It was, it was a bit of a bizarre scene. Like it, it seemed like very forced, uh, but uh, that's the fight to make. And it sounds like Sterling wants to do it uh, rev- relatively soon in uh, September. And uh, I mean, I, I don't doubt that that will probably be the biggest uh, bantamweight fight we've seen in quite a while. Um, yeah, certainly. It, it feels like there are really no small fights when we talk about the uh, top bantamweight matchups. Everything, especially for the hardcore fan base, is so exciting when you get any of these top 15 guys matched up against each other. And uh, Sean O'Malley versus Aljamain Sterling will certainly provide some a very interesting matchup stylistically with uh, Sterling as the superior grappler who's been far more tested against the top competition in the division, while Sean O'Malley is unquestionably the stronger striker with legitimate knockout power. So uh, I think that's an exciting matchup, and it'll certainly get some eyes on it. Uh, well, you know, one thing to also note is like uh, in Sean O'Malley's last fight, that uh, matchup with Piotr Jan. Uh, was that his last fight? Yeah, that was that was the last one, right? You know, he. It, it was a dog fight. Uh, he got the W. I didn't score it for him, but it was a pretty close fight, so I don't have a problem with that decision. But in three rounds, he, he was looking a little fatigued. And as we've seen over and over again, Aljamain is somebody who can go five rounds, no problem. So uh, I think O'Malley's going to have to really uh, dial in his training to make sure that he's prepared to go uh, 25 minutes with uh, Aljamain. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about O'Malley's uh, gas tank. That fight against Jan, as you said, it really was a dog fight where they were uh, fighting at an incredible pace trying to finish one another. Um, I don't expect him to have that same type of fight with Aljamain Sterling, which isn't to say Aljamain Sterling is by any means a tentative fighter. In fact, Piotr Jan is the far more tentative of the two. But uh, I, I imagine the strategy will be far different, and it, it'll be easier for both fighters to conserve stamina unless it's really a heavy grappling-based fight, which is also a possibility if Sterling wants to win. Yeah, I would have to think that, that that's the main uh, game plan for Sterling going into that one. All right, moving on to the next fight. Uh, this event was originally scheduled to have Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush, uh, but that fight got postponed. It'll be happening next month in Vancouver, British Columbia. Instead, we get a late announced fight between Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns, uh, two of the top welterweight contenders essentially setting up some type of future championship fight, we were told, uh, even though uh, apparently uh, Colby Covington is still waiting in the wings for a title shot against Leon Edwards. And we were told that this was going to be a five-round co-main event. What, what, what were your thoughts on that one, Eric? Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be frank here. I'll be honest. Bilal Muhammad is a very talented fighter. He's a very skilled fighter. He's made drastic improvements in his game to legitimately become one of the best welterweights in the world. But he is also, just as a spectator, incredibly dull to watch. And the promise of a 25-minute Bilal Muhammad fight 
uh, replacing a Charles Oliveira fight, perhaps the most entertaining fighter in the entire sport. It, it was a big downgrade, even though this was still a meaningful bout with some interesting circumstances behind it, given that both these fighters are taking the fight on such short notice. Yes, unfortunately for Bilal, that is a bit of his reputation. I mean, he did have an exciting win over Sean Brady in October of 2022. But if you look down his uh, resume, you know, it's just tons and tons of unanimous decisions. And yeah, not the most exciting fighter in the world. Gilbert Burns, on the other hand, does have the reputation of being an exciting fighter. And uh, he's just coming off of an event he was at UFC 287, where he defeated uh, Jorge Masvidal. So a very quick return for him. So why don't you walk us through what happened in this one? All right. So I'm actually going to make an executive decision here, and we're not going to go through this one round by round because I'm oh, going to give a spoiler alert. No. fans what they want. Spoiler alert. All of these rounds look very similar. So the fight starts off rather slowly. And at one point, we see Gilbert Burns, he really commits to a takedown, getting Muhammad down for maybe half a second, but he lands hard on his shoulder. And from this point onwards, Gilbert Burns' shoulder is injured. I believe it was his left shoulder, and he was largely unable to do much of anything throughout the bout other than hang on. He was forced to fight defensively for five rounds, and while at times... He would land the occasional powerful shot as the more powerful fighter of the two. This was largely a fight where he was on the retreat, uh, on his guard, trying to block, uh, block all these heavy kicks from Muhammad, who was really targeting the body of Burns. Now, it was a very smart game plan from Bilal Muhammad, who uh, fought very patiently, picking Burns apart with short combinations of punches, as well as many, many, many powerful kicks to the body and leg. But I would say Burns was never, despite being badly injured to the point that he couldn't even really compete, he was never in danger of being finished at any point. And the crowd quickly turned on this one. It was um, it was a rather dull 25 minutes. I, I thought Bilal Muhammad won every single round of this fight. I Burns never really had him in any spots of trouble. Uh, he wasn't able to force the action too much. And despite Bilal Muhammad on my scorecard winning every round. Like I said, he never had Burns in that much danger either. So despite this being a big win over a skilled opponent, it's also not one that we'll probably remember in two weeks. Uh, did, did you see the fight any differently than I did, Phil? No, no. Five rounds, all of them going to Bilal Muhammad. Uh, just mixed it up really well. Uh, landed great body kicks. Good, good uh, strikes to the head. Uh, a couple of uh, head kicks, even he landed. Uh, at times, Gilbert Burns was able to land, but never really in combination and nothing to really uh, change the course of this fight in any significant fashion. And just, you know, not having that left arm to work with just severely hampered him throughout the fight. And unfortunately, uh, it it didn't. It wasn't a terribly exciting fight, and it was not a terribly exciting performance for Gilbert Burns. And, and let's just say, this was a very long show, a very long show. So, so to get this like this fight that basically takes up 50 minutes of the broadcast past midnight, that's 
that's always a very rough time slot as people are just sort of waiting for the main event. Um, the judges score the fight 50-45, 49-46, and 49-46, all for Bilal Muhammad, who gets the unanimous decision victory. Uh, he cuts a decent promo after the fight, and he will likely fight for the UFC welterweight championship in his next fight. Uh, he's fought Leon Edwards before. It is the, I don't even know if you'd call it a blemish, but he has a no contest against Leon Edwards in his recent, what, nine or 10 fight win streak. So I suppose that would be the more interesting of the two options, just given the history there. Uh, 25 minutes of Bilal Muhammad versus Colby Covington sounds dreadful, but. Uh, you, come on! I'm just saying it like it is, Phil. I'm sorry. That, that does not sound like know. a fun time. I don't know if it's, it sounds so dreadful. I think uh, Colby Covington has a style where he, he puts up a high pace, and I think it would be interesting to see how Bilal responds to that. Um, but you know that that's making the assumption that Colby gets past Leon Edwards, which uh, I am not uh, convinced is going to happen. In fact, we don't even know when that fight might take place. So it could be that Bilal's on the sidelines for quite a bit after this one. Yeah, even though the UFC seemed to really get behind Muhammad uh, is fighting for the title in his next fight narrative, given the fact that Edwards versus Covington isn't even actually booked yet, I mean, it still feels like anything could happen in this division. And let me tell you, if this company finds a reason not to give Blah Muhammad a title shot, they will use it. I mean, if Shavkat Rikmanov does anything of note, he will jump the line. If Hamza Chimaev does anything of note, he will jump the line. If Kamaru Usman gets a big knockout in his next fight, he might jump the line. So uh, I, I think Bilal Muhammad will fight for the title in his next fight, but there's no certainties in this division, this company, or the sport. Uh, uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I definitely would not put it as like some uh, def- definite uh prophecy that uh, Bilal Muhammad's next fight is for the title. Although. Uh, I, I do think, yeah, it, in this case, it, it will be uh, just the way that the division is shaping up. Like, even though, yes, Kamaru Usman could get another shot after another performance, I don't think the UFC wants to put on that fight for a fourth time. And, um, but nonetheless, uh, anything can happen, and all sorts of machinations within the division could lead the UFC to make uh, alternative plans. All right, moving down the card, we had a women's strawweight contest between Jessica Andraj and Yan Zhaonen. Yan has been looking very impressive as of late. Uh, Jessica Andraj is coming off of that defeat as a late replacement uh, to to Aaron Blanchfield in February of this year. Uh, why don't you let us know what happened, Eric? Um, so the fight starts off in typical Jessica Andrade fashion. So she is just barreling forward with some looping strikes, trying to bring the fight to Jan on immediately. I, I thought Jan was doing pretty good work here early, uh, doing a good job of circling out of Andrade's reach, really making her uh, reach with some wild looping punches that weren't really finding their target, which allowed Jan to counter. It didn't take long before Andrade is just sort of flurrying forward and in uh, a knockout reminiscent of Stipe Miocic versus Fabrizio Verdum, Jan just plants her feet and throws a beautiful hook right back at Andrade, who is running face forward into it, and she eats the shot flush, goes down hard. Uh, Jan immediately finishes the five ground and pound, 
And she's declared your winner by TKO at two minutes and 20 seconds of the first round. And a pretty huge knockout win for Yan Jianan. And she's catapulted herself into title contendership. Well, what did you think of how the fight played out as well as the finish, Phil? Yeah, I thought Yan was very uh, effective and precise early. Her kicks and punches were very technical. She was keeping a range against the shorter fighter. Andraj was having a, a little bit of difficulty getting inside, um, but then eventually she was having some success uh, throwing combinations and flurrying and landing a bit, but she just got a little bit too reckless with that, led with her face and met a fist and then ground and pound and it's over. And now, uh, as you mentioned, Jan is uh, amongst, you know, what seems to be a growing list of potential title contenders in a division that, you know, not too long ago was da- dominated by Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, she's no longer the champion of uh, course. No, this one, this one took place at Strawweight. So oh, Zhang Weili is the champion. Sorry, my, my mistake. Uh, that's right. Because yeah, Jessica Andraj dropped down, you know, she's the you know, division tweener. Uh, yeah. uh, nonetheless, this does, uh, so not as many contenders in this division, but, uh, so it does set up, you know, not too much of a, uh, difficult path for Yon to get that title shot. And, you know, it, it, it would be an interesting story if the UFC did set up a championship matchup between two Chinese fighters. Yeah, I mean, this was a pretty big win for Janan. Uh, Andrade's last loss at Strawweight came in 2020 when she lost the split decision against Rose Nyamayunas, a fight where she was really starting to take over late. So for her to just get sparked like this in the first round, it's very reminiscent of Andrade's uh, unsuccessful title defense against the current champion, Zhang Weili. So uh, a bit of symmetry there. And this was really the win that Jianan needed, you see, because she seemed like not too long ago, she was on the verge of a title shot, ended up in this title eliminator fight against Carla Esparza. And in this fight, uh, Jan just got massacred. Uh, Esparza took her to the ground and brutally beat her down in a way that Carla Esparza has never brutally beat anybody down before. And it really brought a halt to her momentum. After that, there's a split decision loss to Marina Rodriguez, a majority decision win over Mackenzie Dern. So, you know, uh, relevant names, but not nothing that's going to catapult you into title contention. Guess what? Knocking out Jessica Andrade in two minutes, that's going to catapult you into title contention. This was exactly what she needed. And she feels like a legitimate contender after this one. I also think that if you look at Jan's career through the UFC, what has drastically changed is just how technical her striking has become you know when she her first few fights in the ufc it was very wild uh you know super aggressive but now uh we're seeing her really put it together with just pinpoint accuracy and uh it it definitely makes for an interesting proposition if she were to take on the current champion although uh do do you think she needs to get another w ahead of doing that or it's just you know, it doesn't really matter in this uh, women's strawweight division. Uh, you know, strawweight's a decent division, but the it's very top-heavy. And you could argue that Jessica Andrade was the perhaps the top fighter at strawweight, a top contender. So to knock her off like that, that's pretty much moves you to the front of the line, unless they want to do Zhang versus Nami Yunus 3, which I, I don't even know what Rose Nami Yunus's interest in fighting is right now. And 
she's coming off a loss as well. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the next fight to make for Zhang and Zhao Nan. All right, moving on the card, we had a featherweight battle between Movsar Evloev and Diego Lopez. Lopez coming in as a late replacement, of course, uh, our, our favorite camo short fighter. Uh, my gosh. Well, Bryce, Bryce Mitchell. Mitchell. <laughs> Bryce Mitchell, uh, unable to, uh, make the walk this week, having to pull out. And so Diego Lopez stepping in on very late notice as a massive underdog, a plus 600 to Mofsar's, uh, minus 1000 in this fight. So, uh, how did this one go down, Eric? This was very interesting because uh, Iloyev has been fantastic throughout his run in the UFC. He has just dominated the vast majority of his opponents, really just in his last fight, absolutely picked apart Dan Ige. So he had uh, really established himself as a t- one of the top contenders in the division. And I was actually expecting a bigger fight than Bryce Mitchell after his last performance. But he ends up here. And on short notice, he's fighting a guy in Diego Lopez who's making his UFC debut. So naturally, huge favorite. Lopez comes out swinging, and he rocks Eloyev with a big right hand in the opening minute. Eloyev takes the fight to the ground, avoiding a pretty decent knee bar attempt from Lopez in the in the process. Uh, Lopez was in a rough position here, but he manages to transition into an armbar attempt honestly nearly finishing the fight in pretty shocking fashion. But Iloyev manages to escape the submission, regains top position, and he lands some really strong strikes from uh, top mount right before time expires. Uh, this was a debated round. I gave it to Lopez. Uh, how did you see it, Phil? I gave it to Lopez as well. I just thought that the strikes that he landed early, the sub- the submission attempts, and even just his aggression off of his back were enough to to take the round. Uh, Mosar didn't really land too many strikes outside of those last few uh, after he survived those submission attempts. So yeah, I gave it to Lopez. We go into round two. Avloyev begins the second round with a strong right hand, and he tries to press Lopez into the cage. Avloyev seems to be getting the better of these exchanges on the feet in the second round, but eventually decides to take the fight back to the ground anyways, where he had a decent amount of time to work. Much like the first round, he postures up where he lands some very solid ground and pound shots. Uh, he's attacking the body well towards the end of the round as well. Uh, some very solid ground and pound here. I, I didn't think this was a close round at all. A, a pretty clear one for Eloyev, yeah? Yeah, definitely. He seemed to really take over in this round. And uh, we kind of just, you know, seemed, that momentum seemed to continue into the third, even though uh, Lopez div- did have some more submission attempts in that one. Exactly. So Eloyev starts the third round. He's still getting the better of their exchanges on the feet. Uh, although Lopez was never out of this either, is landing the occasional strong counter to keep himself in the fight. Uh, much like round two, Eloyev eventually opts to take the fight to the ground uh, around halfway in, where he's able to control the fight from the advantageous position until Lopez counters with another armbar attempt, once again coming close to locking the submission in. Uh, Loyev escapes, but Lopez rolls for a knee this time, and let me tell you, this knee bar looked like it fucking hurt. But hey, Loyev sticks with it until the end. Uh, the final horn sounds, and the fight goes the distance. This was an interesting round. I gave it to Loyev because I thought he did more damage, but obviously the submission attempts from Lopez were relevant as well. Uh, how did you see it, Phil? Uh, I had it exactly the same way. I just think that there was too much damage with the striking and, you know, the submission attempts, you know, the Kimura 
it was there wasn't really anything from that Kimura. Yeah, he had some leverage with his uh, leg behind the head, but he wasn't able to create any torque on it. The knee bar, on the other hand, was a little bit more uh, effective. And, you know, had there been more time, it would have been interesting to see if he could have gotten more leverage from it. But ultimately, uh, Movzar was able to hang on, and uh, I thought uh, he still deserved the round. I agree. My thoughts are exactly the same. We go to the judges, and we have scorecards of 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27, all for Movzar Ilovev. Uh, he remains undefeated, and he remains undefeated in the UFC. After the fight, he seems to call out the Korean zombie who was in attendance. Uh, I, I don't see that fight happening, as the Korean zombie was also recently called out by Max Holloway, which is a much bigger fight. But um, what, what did you think of the performance, and what's next for Ilovev, uh, Phil? I thought it was a good performance. I mean, it was a really exciting fight. Uh, he, you know, he had to deal with some adversity. I think, you know, people might criticize, oh, he didn't dominate this late replacement but you know it's a change in opponent uh very late in the uh you know this week right so uh you know you, you have to give somebody a little bit of slack it, even if maybe you know he's going up against somebody who's a grappler just like Bryce Mitchell um it, it's still a different body and you can't expect the exact same type of uh performance that you would now where he stands in the featherweight division I mean, it, it's kind of tough to say. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, potential, it seems. Um, but, uh, you know, he's not a huge name. And uh, there are just some much bigger names in the division. So um, maybe a couple more fights before we can really start thinking about him uh, actually challenging uh, some of the top, uh, you know, a top fighter. It's tough to say because this was not a very impressive performance, uh, even with the circumstances taken into account here. But his six fights prior to that one, he has looked quite dominant. And he's the 10th ranked fighter in the division. I don't think he should be fighting down in the rankings anymore. He should be fighting somebody ahead of him. Who that is, I'm not sure. Like I said, the Korean Zombie, that's a good call out. But I don't think the Zombie's going to take that fight at this point in his career where Zombie's talking about retirement and the fight on the table is Max Holloway. Are you going to go fight Mavsvar Ilovev? I don't think that's in the cards, even if it's a better fight for him, which it would be. What about Arnold Allen? Arnold Allen is, you know what, after his last fight against uh, Dan Ige, that's actually the fight that I called for after I thought Arnold Allen versus Mavsvar Ilovev would make the most sense so now with him coming off another win and arnold allen coming off a loss uh, i would be totally down to see that fight and i i think it'd be very logical matchmaking yeah very uh very exciting fight this was it actually earned uh fight of the night bonuses for both fighters and diego lopez because of his performance dana white announcing that he will earn his uh show and win money so Good guy, Dana, on that one. <laughs> oh, he's a complete saint. What a generous act from such a kind-hearted man. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Listen, this was uh, for Diego Lopez. I feel like I didn't say it enough because I was uh, focused on Ilovev, but this was a tremendously impressive performance to even hang in there like he did. Don't get me wrong. Ilovev is not a guy who t typically finishes anybody, but he also usually dominates his opponents. So for such a competitive fight to happen on like three days notice, all the props in the world to Lopez. Looking forward to see what he can do uh, with a full training camp against a fair ranked opponent. 
Yeah, I think uh, people are definitely going to be interested when they uh, set up his next fight. And uh, he definitely deserves to have that proper training camp, as you just mentioned. All right, moving down the card to start the event, we had another returning fighter, somebody whose last fight was even longer ago than Henry Cejudo's, Cron Gracie coming in to take on Charles Jordan. Oh my God. Okay, before we even get into this, Cron Gracie, this man, as he was walking through the octagon, I, I, I couldn't believe the, the state he was in. It, it looked like Cron Gracie has been in a basement for three and a half years, just staring at a white wall or something. Just his his disheveled look, the look in his eyes, uh, it threw me off as he was walking to the cage. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he, he doesn't uh, have that sort of like star power persona where he's you know really uh he doesn't seem to want to generate a lot of you know hype and interest around his fights it's just he wants to just go in there and and take care of business um you know his last fight was extremely exciting against cub swanson in uh, october of 2019 this fight not so much yeah, we were wondering which version of Cron Gracie we would see here. Would we get uh, Jiu-Jitsu ace Cron Gracie, who is 5-0 in the UFC? W- would we get uh, the aptly named the Cronrian zombie who stood and traded with Cub Swanson for 15 minutes like a madman? Uh, we didn't really get either of them here. So we start the fight, and Jordan begins the fight with a nice sharp jab, which he lands multiple times, followed by these quick combination of hooks. Jordan defends an early attempt from Gracie to take the fight to the ground and catches him with an uppercut just moments later. Gracie's striking was looking pretty bad here, and he was being caught by Jordan repeatedly whenever uh, Gracie attempted to pressure forward. Eventually, Gracie says, you know what, fucking nothing I'm doing is working here, so I'm just going to pull guard. And it's somewhat successful as he does manage to drag uh, Jordan down with him, but Gracie isn't able to do anything from his guard. Jordan uh, defends himself well before just standing back up and continues to control the fight on the feet. Um, bit of a strange opening round. 10-9 Jordan, unquestionably, I think. We, we go, yeah, go ahead, Phil. No, no, I mean, yeah, it's unquestionable. <laughs> we go into round two. Gracie presses Jordan up against the cage early where uh, he successfully pulls guard once again. The result is exactly the same as he can't really do anything from guard and Jordan eventually just stands back up after a lengthy period of top position. Jordan is a much better striker and he's just easily handling Gracie on the feet, lands a sharp elbow as Gracie just marches forward at one point, which was one of his better shots. Eventually, Gracie decides to pull guard once again, just desperately trying to get Jordan to engage him on the ground, but can't do anything with it. So he's just lying on his back without much happening. Uh, very, very dull. And another easy round for Jordan, who is having absolutely no difficulties handling Crone Gracie here. We, we go into the final round. And, and guess what? This New Jersey crowd, uh, they were not down with Crone Gracie. This was not Carlito or Savio Vega coming out in Puerto Rico at Backlash. No, no, no. This was this was the most hated man in New Jersey. As every time Crone Gracie attempted to pull guard, he was just getting booed out of the building by this point. Um, the third round looks a lot like the prior two. 
Gracie gets the occasional guard pull where he has no success. And Jordan easily stands back up and continues to get the better of the fight on the feet. Uh, the, the fight, unsurprisingly, goes the distance. Uh, scored at 30-27 in favor of Charles Jordan, as did all three judges, and as did Phil Shertok. That's correct. Yes, yes. Per usual, no 10 uh in this one. Uh, Charles Jordan getting a big win, or a much-needed win, I should say, after a couple of losses. And Kron Gracie, I mean... <laughs> Do do we see him again in the UFC, Eric? Not the most inspiring performance after a nearly four-year layoff. Yeah, this was a horrible fight, a horrible performance. But a lot of people are calling for Crone Gracie's head right now. I'm seeing it all over Twitter, over Reddit. People want this guy gone from the UFC. Uh, what if I told you Crone Gracie has a win over a top 15 ranked UFC featherweight in Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres, just two fights ago? So despite that being a long time ago and the lack of success here, I'm not ready to cut him from the UFC again. Maybe he shouldn't be fighting a great opponent in his next fight, and perhaps his ceiling is rather low. Both of these things can be true, but uh, I wouldn't say just let him go just yet. Maybe he shouldn't be fighting on the main card of pay-per-view. At the very least, I think that's fair to say. This was not a fun way to kick off the action. All right, so now moving along to uh, the preliminary card. The headliner of the preliminary card was a very exciting fight on paper between Drew Dober and Matt Frivola. Drew Dober has been in a a lot of exciting fights, and Matt Frivola, uh, on a nice run himself, his last two uh, performances, big finishes. Um, What were your your thoughts on, you know, this potential fight, and then how did the action go, Eric? You can put Drew Dober against literally anybody at lightweight, and I'd probably say that looks like a fantastic fight. And a guy like Matt Favola, who's always willing to stand and trade, yeah, I think this was one of the more exciting fights of the entire card on paper. Uh, we had people in the Discord, like uh, the great Scott Ferry, who said this was his main event. And I, I don't think he was alone. This was certainly a really exciting fight on paper, and the action begins exactly as you would expect it to play out, as they just immediately start trading hands. A heavy right hand from Favola catches Dober clean, but Dober's taking the shots well early, just pressing forward and defending takedowns. Favola was really countering well as Dober threw his typical heavy combinations, and I thought uh, Favola was getting the better of these early exchanges, despite Dober being the one applying the pressure. Uh, one thing I will say as the round starts to progress, Dober starts to attack the body more, and these body shots are doing excellent work. I, I thought the momentum of the round was starting to shift into Dober's favor from these body shots. But this big Superman punch from Favola seems to kind of stumble Dober. And as Dober attempts to just charge on forward, as he often does, a huge right hand from Favola drops Dober hard. Favola follows Dober down to the ground, and he just throws down some vicious ground and bound strikes until the fight stops. Matt Favola wins by TKO at 4 minutes and 8 seconds of the first round, becoming the first fighter to finish Drew Dober with strikes in about 12 years, remarkably. Yeah, extremely uh, impressive performance. Um, also a performance of the night winner, uh, Matt Frivola. I should mention that Jan Jonan also was uh, the other uh, performance of the night winner for her impressive finish of Jessica Andrade. 
So now Matt Frivola won three in a row and uh, calls out Patty Pimblett afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think anybody's terribly excited. I mean, it seemed like the crowd was excited to see that, maybe because people are now just interested in seeing Patty, you know, get uh, an L on his record in the UFC. But I, I really think that Matt Frivola should be fighting uh, better competition than uh, Patty Pimblett at this point. Yeah, I mean, when you're beating the likes of Drew Dober and Jalen Turner, that's, in, in my mind, probably a, a step above where uh, Patty Pimblett would be. And the Patty Pimblett call-out is starting to starting to get into that, like, Conor McGregor call-out territory where you hear it coming and you're like, uh, really, man? Is there anybody else you want to shoot for? Maybe someone who hasn't been called out ten times on the last two cards? I, oh, we did miss a call-out earlier, I should say. Charles Jourdain called out Edson Barboza after his win. And that fight sounds fucking awesome, so I totally hope that happens. But th- this one for Matt Frivola, I'm less sure it's actually going to come to fruition. All right, let's zip along uh, this. the rest of this card. Next fight it was a light heavyweight contest between Kennedy and Jekwu versus Devin Clark and Jekwu and Jekwu. I'm horrible uh, at that. And, yeah, okay, we'll say yours is better. I'll take it. I don't know if that's correct, but I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Yes. So yeah, he was taking on Devin Clark at light heavyweight. And uh, how'd that one go down, Eric? This was uh, kind of an interesting setup, given that Devin Clark is a bit more of a staple of the division at this point. He used to be largely a wrestler, although he's improved the striking somewhat. And Chaku presses forward early in the fight, looking to trap Clark against the cage. Uh, he, so Clark wouldn't have room to shoot for those takedowns. The strategy is unsuccessful, however, as Clark does take it to the ground. But Nchaku is a much improved fighter at this point in his career. He gets back to his feet and he's doing some pretty good work. Uh, a big elbow from Clark rocks Nchukwu in the clinch. And as he has Nchukwu, like, covered up trying to guard, he's going on the attack trying to finish the fight. And Nchukwu just fires back with a big elbow of his own, rocking Clark. And Clark was in significant trouble here. And Nchukwu just starts unloading with elbow after elbow after elbow. And if there is any time left in this round, Nchukwu may have secured the finish. But alas, there was no time remaining. And we did see a round two. Clark still seemed to be uh, a bit shaken up from the end of the prior round, and Anshakwu is dominating the action in the clinch, really, where he's attacking the body with these brutal knees. Uh, Clark realizes, okay, this clinch battle isn't really working out for me anymore. I'm going to shoot for a takedown. But as he goes for one, Anshakwu counters with a guillotine attempt, catching him, and he reanks on that guillotine choke until Clark taps. The tap goes missed, and Clark gets choked unconscious, unfortunately. So Kennedy and Chukwu wins by a guillotine choke at 2 minutes and 28 seconds of round 2. Certainly uh, an impressive win from a much-improved fighter. Yeah, he's definitely been improving. I mean, that's three in a row uh, for Kennedy right now. Um, and his skill set has clearly improved since uh, some of his early fights in the UFC. I mean, he was in the UFC in his uh, seventh professional fight um, and on Dana White's contender series even before that. So uh, he's come a long way since then. And three in a row in a uh, not terribly deep division uh, could potentially put him uh, up for a significant fight in his next one. 
at light heavyweight, he might as well be fighting for the title in his next fight. It doesn't really matter there. Everybody's equal. It is a even playing field for everyone from the champion himself to like the 35th ranked fighter. That is the state of light heavyweight. So uh, best of luck to Kenny and Chakwo, who ha- you, has a pretty you, impressive You would say he's even now. versus Jamal Hill and Jan Blahovich. <laughs> I, I would favor those fighters, but is it impossible that Chakwu would just hit them with something and win the fight after like a dull 15 minutes? Uh, yeah, it's it's very possible. Well, I mean, I, look, this was not a dull, dull fight. I mean, I, I it was the no, first no, round was I, pretty exciting. You. So I'm with you. I thought this was a really entertaining fight, but that's not the norm for this division, which is in the roughest state that it's ever been in. All right, moving on. K.S. Williams taking on Ronaldo Bedoya at welterweight. I unfortunately not... missed the first round oh, of this okay. one. Um, so, but, uh, uh, well, I missed the first half of the first round. I saw the second half of the first round, and I saw round two and saw round three. I was a little perplexed by the judges' scorecards in this one. Uh, yeah, so this was actually a, a very good fight. I, I wouldn't have been shocked if this one actually won fight of the night, which which it did not, but I, I thought it was up there. These fighters were really just cha- trading hands for the better part of 15 minutes. Williams is throwing these big short combinations throughout where he's landing some some of his shots to power, but I thought Bedoya was doing a good job of countering well, and I actually thought he landed the more damaging shots throughout uh, my scorecard was 29-28-4 Bedoya. Uh, that, with that being said, we go to the judges and we get 29-28, 29-28, and one scorecard of 27-30. And we learn that Chaos Williams has won by split decision with both of the 29-28 scorecards in his favor, while the 130-27 scorecard was in favor of Bedoya. So uh, I know you missed part of the first round, which I scored for Williams, but... What did your scorecard look like from what you saw, Phil? I mean, I thought Bedoya clearly run rounds two and three. So, um, I, so I don't. I I really didn't quite understand uh, scoring it for Williams in any capacity. I mean, it wasn't like it was some blowout, but it, it just seemed like Bedoya was just more effective. He his jab kept landing over and over again. He had great low kicks. Williams was kind of like one and done with his shots, and none of them really changed the course of the fight. Bedoya was able to eat them no problem. So I, I was a little surprised by the decision, considering I gave, you know, the last two rounds, I thought, pretty clearly to Bedoya. But, uh, you know, the New Jersey judges saw it a different way. I scored the fight the same way you did, of course. Um I wasn't as surprised by the result. I, I did think uh, the second round in particular was rather close. With that being said, Williams was a massive favorite coming into this fight. So for, for the fight even to be as close as it was, was uh, you have to give a lot of props to Bedoya. And uh, it wasn't the greatest performance we've seen out of Chaos Williams. W- with that being said, he now holds a record of 5-2 and two in the promotion uh, since joining in 2020. So a pretty good start to Chaos Williams' run in the UFC. Uh, in a welterweight division, that's pretty good. All right. And to open the preliminary card, we had a women's strawweight matchup between Marina Rodriguez and Verna Janjiroba. What happened uh, in that one? Kind of interesting, just pointing out that Marina Rodriguez has 
main evented three of the last four cards that she's been on. So uh, to see her in the opening bout of the TV prelims, quite the downgrade from her. But but maybe the UFC matchmakers just saw something I didn't hear because uh, this just would not be her night. Jandroba quickly takes the fight to the ground. And throughout the fight, we see Jandroba just having a ton of success against Rodriguez in the grappling department. Jandroba is a good grappler. We all know that. But Rodriguez has been tested against the top grapplers of the division throughout her run. She's been fighting top fighters for a number of years now. So to see Jandroba dominate her in such convincing fashion throughout the first two rounds was uh, rather surprising to me. Rodriguez down on the scorecards going into round three starts the third round with a bit more aggression and at one point she lands this flying knee that kind of backs Jandroba up but once again Jandroba's grappling ability is just a bit too much for takes the fight to the ground and she's hunting for submissions and landing ground and pound for the rest of the round uh the fight does go the distance I scored every round for Werner Jandroba how did you see it Phil? Uh, I had it the, uh, actually I gave the third round to Rodriguez. Now I'm trying to read my notes to see if I remember it. Cause it feels like it was like ancient his- history. Uh, I think it was really just, uh, you know, she, Rodriguez was la- landing a lot of like, uh, strikes from the bottom. She landed a bunch of up kicks, uh, towards the end of the round. So I did give her the third, but really it, it, it was, uh, Myrna, uh, dominant Verna dominating the grappling for most of the fight and taking her down at will. And uh, despite, you know, losing that third round on my scorecard, I thought it was a very impressive performance by her. Uh, as did I. We get scorecards of 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27, all in favor of Verna Jandroba. Uh, a pretty big win against one of your top contenders at strawweight. Uh, Verna Jandroba has been fairly consistent since joining the UFC, but she's never really approached that title contendership conversation this is the kind of win against a fighter like marina rodriguez that's going to really catapult her up the rankings and a big fight for her probably in her next outing one that could even potentially decide a title to shot depending on who her opponent is so i don't think there's any overstating how big of a win this was for vernish androba yeah i think you know we were talking earlier about the strawweight division and how you know there's uh there's a lot of opportunity for new fighters to step up and i think uh verna is now you know one or two fights away from really being considered uh for a title shot especially after a performance like this okay why don't you just zip through the early prelims and uh yes please <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, as much as I'd love to just zip by these, we need to spend a couple a couple minutes on this one, Phil, because we had Braxton Smith versus Parker Porter uh, in the heavyweight division, and we got an all-timer performance here, Phil. Braxton Smith, he comes out swinging for the fences. He's trying to he's trying to finish this fight early. It's his UFC debut. He's never had a fight go past two minutes before, and he is looking for the kill. This man is a man on a mission, and he gasses out after ninety seconds. <laughs> and <laughs> after ninety seconds, the man is done. Parker Porter recognizes this and just kind of drags him to the ground in in a fashion that you could only see in the unranked heavyweight fights. And he immediately finishes the fight just kind of by sitting on him and throwing down punches. Uh, no no attempt to defend himself or get up from Braxton Smith. Parker Porter wins by TKO at 2 minutes and 10 seconds of the first round. I crown this the king of the unranked heavyweight fights. Uh, my God. Uh, fight of the night? 
Uh, I mean, heavyweight fight of the night, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Thrilling stuff. Uh, Parker Porter getting a big win uh, after losing uh, two in a row. So uh, good to see him on uh, the winning ways now. And Braxton Smith, uh, I suppose he'll get another crack at the UFC, but certainly not the most inspiring of debuts. Uh, with all due respect to Braxton Smith, uh, an all-timer performance. <laughs> we go down further down the card to Phil Hawes versus Ikram Auskarov. Uh, Auskarov kind of gets hyped as a fighter who once fought Hamza Chimaev, uh, defended all of his takedowns. The fight was short. Hamza, uh, Chimaev won by knockout in a couple minutes, but nonetheless, Chimaev has praised him before. And we got to see why here. It seemed like Phil Hawes was taking control of the action early, but Auskarov responds with this. A uh, big right hand that finds its target, just crumbling Hawes to the ground unconscious. Alisarov wins by knockout at 2 minutes and 10 seconds of the first round. Uh, I believe this was his UFC de- debut, and it was quite a way to make that debut. He calls up Bone Nickel after the fight. Bone Nickel is already scheduled to fight uh, in a couple months, but uh, not a bad call out. With that being said, I-, I think this guy's probably too high of a level for Bone Nickel right now. Uh yeah, and also, you know, he, he's not really a, a big name, right? The, him making his UFC debut, and it seems like, you know, they've already put Bo Nickel in these, like, high-profile positions. So I I would think that the UFC is going to continue that, even though, um, you know, maybe it's not going to be the biggest named opponent. They're definitely going to put Bo Nickel in a, you know, significant position on a main card or uh, of a pay-per-view or perhaps, you know, even near the top of a fight night. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, Alaskarov, interesting fighter, a lot of potential. I'd like to see him where he goes forward, but uh, it won't be against Bo Nickel. We go to the first fight of the evening uh, a trillion hours ago where Joseph Holmes fought Claudio Ribeiro in middleweight action. Uh, Ribeiro is he's fighting very aggressively to begin the fight, and while Holmes initially handles that pressure, while well, eventually Ribeiro's pressure starts to overwhelm him, he takes the fight to the ground. And I thought he was actually like the fight could have been stopped at the end of round one because he is landing some brutal ground and pound strikes. It, it does not get stopped. We see a second round, but the result is the same because Ribeiro lands this big knee right up the middle that pretty much sends. Holmes uh, crashing to the ground and he finishes the fight of ground and pound strikes at three minutes and 21 seconds of the second round. Uh, a solid win by Ribeiro to start off the card. All right. Well, that's <laughs> UFC 288. Uh, you know, pretty decent preliminary and early prelims. The main card, not so much, although I will say that I thought that the main event was an excellent fight. It was, it wasn't, you know, some back and forth slugfest, but I just thought it was supremely technical and pretty much like the highest level of MMA that you can get. Agreed completely. It's not a fight that's going to be on many people's fight of the year list, but it was just such an elite fight. And, you know, it's very rare that I watch a 25 minute MMA fight. And at the end I say, you know what? I could have gone for 10 more minutes of that. And this is one of the very few times where that was the case, where I felt like, man, I want to see these guys keep fighting. They can both keep going. It's such a close fight. I would love to see this fight continue to play out. Um, And you know what? That's a sensation that seems to happen in the bantamweight division more than any other. So just an extremely talent-stacked division. 
Sort of, uh, you know, we didn't mention this uh, when we talked about the main event, but after the fight, Cejudo sort of implied that maybe this could be his last fight. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but what would you like to see him do? Uh, Like, who would you like to see him go up against? Um, Honestly, like I kind of alluded to at the beginning of uh, this podcast, I feel like you can do anything at Bantamweight and it would be pretty exciting. Honestly, like I, I wouldn't like to see a rematch between him and someone he's already fought, like Dominic Cruz, obviously, but against any of the top fighters in the division right now, I'd be really into that. If it was Henry Cejudo versus Marab Dibovishvili, that sounds awesome. If it was Henry Cejudo versus Piotr Jan, I'm into that too. So I, I do hope he sticks around and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it if he what he can accomplish now at 36 years of age but still very clearly an elite level talent yeah i think the marab fight makes a lot of sense right because of the history with uh with aljamain and their relationship and the skills in the wrestling so i think that would be a pretty interesting fight and and you would want to keep uh henry cejudo in like a big fight situation all right Coming up next week, the UFC returns to Charlotte, North Carolina for a fight night. Jerezinho Rosenstrike versus Jelton Almeida. Okay. Jelton, you know, one of the key prospects in the heavyweight division and, you know, taking on somebody who's been at the top of the division for a while now. All right, you know the, the first half of that matchup, you had me really worried. But when you went through of the whole thing, I'm kind of I'm okay if that is a main event. That's an interesting matchup to see uh, what exactly Almeida's ceiling is at heavyweight, and if Rosenstruck can continue putting together these big wins. So. No one needs five rounds of that shit, but it's not a bad fight. <laughs> also on that card, Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker. Anthony Smith finally escaping the UFC apex <laughs> and headlining. The preliminary card. Do you know what's headlining the preliminary card on this one, Eric? Oh, no. I have no idea what this card looks like. Please enlighten me. Matt Brown versus Court McGee. Oh, my God. A a matchup of two men from a decade ago uh, who've nearly died at respective points in their life. This this is peak 2013 UFC welterweight, and I am here for it. Yes. And the next time that Eric is back... Presumably with one John Pollock will be on June 10th, 2023, as the UFC returns to Canada. They're at the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, British Columbia. This is their first time in Canada since I think 2019, uh, when uh, I, I want to say Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah, Cowboy versus Gaethje in September of 2019. So, uh, I mean, long time coming, the UFC returning to Canada. That event is headlined by Amanda Nunez versus a uh, new replacement Irene Aldana and uh also <laughs> and uh the aforementioned fight between Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush is also scheduled to happen on that one so uh you know you're laughing at that uh women's bantamweight title fight how come Eric uh, it's not just that fight. It's this entire card. When when they showed this card on the broadcast, I, I couldn't help but laugh because this this is such a dreadful outing for a pay-per-view card. If Charles Oliveira, uh, if that fight happens on this card as it was originally scheduled to, this wouldn't, this wouldn't even be UFC Apex worthy. That is how bad this card looks. And uh, to charge people 
$80 for it is beyond me. So uh, I hope Charles Oliveira versus Benio Darius stays on the card because it is the one thing keeping me invested in this one, but uh, an extremely poor outing for the UFC on pay-per-view, in my opinion. Yeah, that's definitely by far the best fight. I think there, there's a pretty interesting fight at featherweight here with Danny Gay taking on Nate Landwehr, but you know, it's not the type of fight that's, you know, really going to sell pay-per-views, even though it's uh, pretty exciting on paper. No, you need either big names or maybe sentimental names or top contenders. And that's none of that. I mean, even Dan Ige has lost like four of his last five fights, right? It's uh, it's hardly a matchup that's going to make moves at featherweight. Um, Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira, that, that is the big one. It will determine the next lightweight contender, especially if Dariush wins. But... Um, Listen, as far as the main event goes, Irene Aldana, she is probably the most deserving contender at Bantamweight, in my opinion. It's a better fight than Nunes versus Pena 3. Uh, there's no one in the world who wanted to see that after their second fight was just so lopsided. Uh, and at least Aldana has uh, a finishing power to make things interesting. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I, yeah, n- I was not looking forward to seeing uh, Nunez versus Pena 3 uh, with the result of the previous fight. So, yeah, at least it's interesting, a new opponent. And, um, I mean, there's not really much else to say about that one. All right. That wraps up the post-wrestling coverage of UFC 288. Please hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Eric, do you have anything you want to say to the people as we uh, sign off for the day? No, uh, you know what? You can come join the fun at postwrestling.com slash discord. Uh, We're in there talking about MMA, uh, pro wrestling, sports, whatever you want, really. It's a fun place with a lively community, and you can always join in on the fun. You can follow me at ericmarkot705 on Twitter. And Phil, thanks for uh, joining me here. I have a feeling we'll be seeing each other again here sometime. (laughs) Well, yeah, I have a feeling we might be seeing each other uh, not too long from now, perhaps in the flesh in June. Yes. Yeah. Uh, How interesting. Postwrestling.com slash live for uh, people who want to uh, experience AEW Forbidden Door pre-party and after-party being hosted by uh, the guys at Poison Rana and uh, John and Wei. Um, Who knows who might show up for that one? Uh, I've heard a lot of rumors and you you won't believe the names that may be announced or may (laughs) not be announced who may be there or may not be there. It's something special. (laughs) <laughs> all right i think uh i think we're, we're ready to wrap this up thank you very much everybody thank you everybody who tuned in thank you everybody in the discord thank you eric peace out say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill